Hello and welcome to For the State, the show where we talk all things journalism. Coming to you from 2SER in Sydney on Gadigal lands of the Eora Nation, right across Australia on the Community Radio Network and directly to your device across the globe via podcast. I'm Sharon Davis. This edition, we're talking with award-winning Lebanese-British journalist Zara Hankir about the growing number of Arab and Middle Eastern female journalists, or Sahafiyat, who are shattering stereotypes to report on their homelands. In her work as a foreign correspondent in the Middle East, Zara met and worked with many local women who, against incredible odds, were telling stories that were providing a different perspective from that of the foreign correspondents. Some were working for established news organisations, others as citizen journalists, taking it on themselves to report on social media the view from the ground in places that were often inaccessible to Western journalists. She approached 19 of these women to write about their lives and work and their unique challenges. The book is called Our Women on the Ground, Essays by Arab Women Reporting from the Arab World. We began our conversation talking about Zara's background as a British child of Lebanese parents hungry for news of home. I was born in the UK during the Lebanese Civil War to um, Lebanese parents who were very, very literate when it comes to news. I mean, they constantly had the news on. As a child, I just remember images of of Lebanon and the Civil War um, on the BBC and also the Gulf War. And that really played a part in my desire to become a journalist, because to my mind, journalists were heroes and they were, you know, conveying the truth of what was happening in various countries and conflicts around the world and risking their lives to do so. And that fascination grew over the years. And when I returned to Lebanon with my family in the early 90s, when the civil war subsided, um, as a student, I was very engaged with student politics and news, and I became the editor-in-chief of uh, the American University of Beirut's student newspaper. And the reason I bring all of this up is that, you know, I really have this sort of, I would say, dual nationality or dual cultural background that informed not just the way I approached journalism myself, but also how I engaged with it as an industry and how I interpreted foreign correspondence and journalism as a medium in the international media space. And I found that the narrative on the Arab world over the years, over the decades, was incomplete in the sense that it was commanded in that particular space by Western foreign correspondents. And noticing how incredible the work of local journalists was, I felt I wanted to do something about that gap. And that is why I specifically focus on women, women journalists in the Arab world, because I feel that they have this level of intimacy and nuance in the way they tell their stories and in their approach to the news that was missing from that discourse. Your father was actually taping BBC news reports from Lebanon. Why was he doing that? I think, you know, my parents really, they missed Lebanon so much and they were so concerned about the war and about their families, that it was almost like they were trying to grasp on whatever they could, right, on whatever little bits of pieces of news that they could get. And it was a historical moment. 
And I think we also have to remember, you know, the internet wasn't a thing back then. And my father was just obsessed with documenting everything. He just felt that he couldn't be there. So he wanted to, you know, record it, document it, talk about it. That's why it was a constant presence at home. I really feel that it was because he felt that he felt he was betraying his homeland by not being there and therefore wanted as much as possible to consume as much as he could about it and to record it as like a historical record and the tapes obviously piled up over the years and at some point he had to stop recording but um but that played a huge a huge part in my fascination with news this idea that you need to document it that you have to keep it that this is part of the historical record but it's also interesting because what your father was documenting was a war and you as someone outside of that country that didn't really know that country what was that documentation telling you about the war it was, I mean, I was a child, so it's very difficult for me to, to answer that question, but I love that question. I think it was telling me that this was part of my identity. There was a land far away from where I was in which there were complex political factors that led to there being war there, and that was the reason I wasn't living there. That was the reason I was born in the United Kingdom, but I always knew that I didn't necessarily belong there. And alongside those images of war, my parents made sure that we had a very Lebanese identity in terms of the culture. So, you know, my my mother used to play Feiruz all the time at home. She's an incredible Lebanese singer. She used to cook Lebanese food for us all the time. She used to speak Arabic to us. She made sure that we we knew that we were Lebanese, that we were not British children, that we had this other identity, and also that we were going to go home at some point, and that being in the UK was temporary. So I think for me, you know, watching the news and, and the way that I felt about it as a child was that I was in awe of the journalists who were covering the story. I was also fascinated by the story. Why is this all happening? I want to understand it. This is part of my identity. Why is it so, you know, complicated and violent and tragic? And, you know, that it propelled me to become a journalist. I'm guessing here, but I suspect that those news reports that you were seeing were by men. They were indeed by men. I remember vividly that it was, you know, a white British male telling me the story of my homeland. I trusted every word, you know, I was a child, but... But, you know, now, actually, I've not been asked that question before. I appreciate it. And now, looking back, that's quite interesting that you bring that up. Yeah. You go back to Beirut and you're working on a student newspaper. Yes. Telling news stories? Yeah. So, as the editor of the newspaper, I was commissioning um, news stories that had to do with student activism. It was almost like a microcosm of national politics because you had all of these different student groups and political movements and, you know, they they mirrored what was happening nationally. So, in fact, you know, the student newspaper, because it's also the American University of Beirut is very influential in the region, we had a very high circulation. I think it must have been about 60,000 issues a week, which went beyond the student body. Um, and, you know, the newsroom was intense. It was filled with passion. Everybody felt like they wanted to write the next story and they wanted to, to you know, the, reveal the next little bit of, you know, corruption on campus or, you know, developments um, on campus that, that were um, significant within the, uh, the Lebanese political context. And, you know, some of the most tenacious women on, on that team and in that newsroom were, to me, women who inspired me to continue a career in journalism. In fact, one of the women in my book was on that team. Um, uh, her name is Nur Malas. 
And, you know, the work that they did and the courage that they showed, you know, they were they were just incredibly fierce. And I remember just being so inspired by them, even though I was the editor in chief. I just looked at them and thought, you know, how fantastic that they have this passion for the story and they're willing to go out and get it. You started compiling a list of women who were reporting across the Middle East. Is that right? I did. So this came a little bit later after I moved to Dubai to work for Bloomberg. I was covering the Arab Spring because I wasn't on the ground myself and felt a little bit like a fraud. I was covering the Arab Spring from the financial um, angle. I felt like I wanted to learn as much as I could about what was on the ground, not about the Western account, which was filtered. So I sought out local voices. And in seeking out those voices, I stumbled across many local women who I thought were incredibly fierce. Some of them were citizen journalists as well. And that was really when I started compiling a list because I wanted to know who was doing what and from where, which were the Western journalists, which were the local journalists. It was all in a Google Doc that I had. And there was an obvious discrepancy between who was, you know, commanding the narrative in terms of the global international narrative on the region and who was doing the on the ground work that was revelatory in a different way. So that was, yeah, that was one of the sort of the I would say it was a data point where I felt, okay, no, like there are all these incredible women doing this incredible work and yet look who's getting the attention in the discourse. So you're talking about two different narratives. You're talking about an international narrative and then you're talking about a local narrative. And how different were they? They're very different for a number of reasons. I don't want to glorify local media because local media in the Arab world can be very um, polarizing along sectarian lines. Um, along business interest lines. Um, Some of them uh, you cannot fully trust. So I just wanted to say that. Um, But what is important in terms of the local journalism of some of the women in my book is that they were approaching the story differently. You know, a a lot of the women were, were telling stories about women. They were trying to tell the same story with a different angle. There was a lot more intimacy. There was a lot more nuance. There was this feeling that, you know, the stakes were a bit higher for these women. And you could feel that by watching them and by reading them and by observing what they were posting online. And that is really what propelled me, I think, to this towards this idea of, well, what is the story behind that story? That's what I want to read, right? Um, when Western correspondents go to the Middle East, you know, they, they often do incredible work and they return to their countries of origin and then they then go on to write memoirs. And I've read many of those memoirs and they're fantastic. But my feeling was, what about the memoirs of those women who are doing this work and the stakes are so high for them? What's their story? And that's really how I came up with the idea. The book is stories from 19 women journalists. How did you decide on those women? That was by far the most difficult aspect of curating this book is having to decide who was going to be in it. I wanted to reflect in the book the diversity of the region. So I tried to narrow it down in terms of, you know, the nationalities of the women, the ages of the women. I wanted there to be an adequate representation, um, the political backgrounds, the types of journalism that they were doing, whether or not they worked for local media and then worked for Western media, um, whether or not they had dual identities, that they had like a foot in the Western world, a foot in the Arab world. And all of those things, you know, there were a lot of things to keep in mind. I, I went about it, I think, in as um, diligent a manner as possible. But looking back, I feel that I could have had women from other countries, for example, that were represented. You know, we didn't want it to be an Arab spring book. So we were careful not to sort of go down that route. 
Um, I wanted it to be a reflection of the modern history of the Middle East without necessarily falling into that sort of, it's just a post-Arab Spring book. I did also admittedly look for women who had done particular type of work that felt to me like it was groundbreaking in some way or that they'd been through certain personal challenges that would illustrate um, many of the challenges the women across the region um, faced. The book in itself reminds me, I don't know whether you're familiar with her, a British journalist now deceased, a woman called Martha Gellhorn, Mm -hmm. who actually reported from the Spanish Civil War. Mm -hmm. And she wrote a book called The View from the Ground. Mm -hmm. Did you know about Martha? I actually did not. One of the books that I look to for inspiration, which you probably have come across in your own research, is called War Torn. So it's a collection of essays by American women journalists who covered the Vietnam War. And it's a truly, I mean, it's such a fantastic book. And I read that and I thought to myself, you know, I would just love to have that book written by Arab women journalists, right? Because the challenges are very unique for Arab women journalists, but they're also universal in that many women journalists, irrespective of their backgrounds, no matter where they're working, if they're going to be war correspondents, they're going to face similar challenges, right? So it was all about having that same approach of getting the unique view on on the ground, but from women who don't leave that ground, who are there, who are not parachuted in or out. So tell me about that view from the ground Mm -hmm. and what it is about that that women contribute that you wouldn't get from men. There's a few things. I would say, firstly, that women are able to have access to both genders in that, you know, they... It's different types of access, especially if you're a local Arab woman. But essentially, men would not be allowed into these closed-off spaces in which women um, interact with one another. It might be in the privacy of their own homes. It might be in a certain part of a mosque. It might be in a gynecological clinic. But it's just areas in which women are able to, to venture into and to tell the stories of those women. And that immediately opens you up to an entirely different world, especially when you're looking in in the confines of conflict journalism. You're suddenly exposed to this entire, you know, world, which is crucial um, to telling the, the whole story. And then there's also another aspect of it, which is I think in some cases, especially in my book, women are not taken seriously. So they're almost looked at as not really being a threat. So in a way, they're allowed to kind of go into certain spaces because they're thought of as being sort of harmless. And one example of that is Shamayel Anur. She's a Sudanese journalist in my book who um, gained access to the head of a militia, uh, the Janjaweed. His name was Musa Hilal, because they kind of didn't take her seriously. Like, what is she going to what is she going to write, really? And she wrote this incredible like bombshell story of the fact that he had political ambitions that hadn't been reported before. So, you know. There are challenges that the women face. They navigate those challenges. They're incredibly savvy and they enter certain spaces knowing that the challenges are there and they're incredibly resilient. Resilient. I would say that the main benefit of them being women is that they're able to speak to other women in a way that men cannot. There's also something about reporting the domestic that's really important. Mm-hmm. Those kind of small stories that are actually the very big stories of how we run our lives in the middle of a war, like how do you go and do the shopping or what do you do if you need childcare for your kids. They're stories that we, outside of a war zone, can relate to far more than the bang-bang stuff on the front line. 
Yeah, and I think it's unfortunate that war reportage, like, and this idea of it being very masculine and focusing on the war and on the, you know, on the geopolitics, that's that's not the full story. And that's really what these women in this book illustrate. And in fact, I think in a way, you know, it's more illuminating when you're telling those stories because you're showing another side of society. And for example, Amir al-Sharif, she's the Yemeni photojournalist, she was sick of that sort of um, depiction of her country, right? Of like the famine and the carnage and the bombing. So she took it upon herself to to focus specifically on Yemeni women. She says she, she says Yemeni women with fighting spirits, which is such a beautiful way of putting it, where she was telling the stories of Yemeni women through her imagery and showing their resilience and the work that they were doing on a day-to-day basis to keep their families going. You know, they the way that um, a woman on, on the island of Socotra was was feeding her family, the way that she was living on a day-to-day basis, all of that, like these little nuances and this, these intimate details that you see in the imagery that show this other side of life that's really quite quite intimate and, and important. And that should be a part of reportage in general, whether there's a war or not. And her coverage of Socotra was not related to the Yemeni war. But for me, I'm drawn to those stories as well. Yeah, we had an Australian woman who went to Lebanon in the 70s and she was a radio journalist and her reports from Lebanon while Beirut was being shelled are quite extraordinary because she had a little child Mm -hmm. and so she would have to put the child under the table Mm -hmm. while the shelling was going on and it was quite a different approach to telling that story of the war than you would normally hear. Is that what you were seeing as well? I appreciate you bringing up motherhood and how that may or may not affect a woman's approach to to the story. I think in many cases it does. I think in my book it's illustrated um, through some of the challenges that the women face, whether it was logistical challenges, worrying about the safety of their own family, and then also the guilt that they had to contend with. And, um, you know, how emotional or difficult it might be for a mother to write about mothers who are losing their children while this woman's children are at home um, and she's worrying about them at the same time. And what I really appreciate about the women in, in my book is that they don't turn away from those challenges. They talk about them in very raw and honest terms. It's, you know, for them, it's part of their journey expressing the difficulties that perhaps they face as mothers um, who are also reporters. And actually, in more than one case in my book, there are mothers who decided to leave journalism behind altogether because they felt that um, by remaining in their countries of origin and by being journalists at the same time, they were compromising the safety of their children. So that is certainly a theme in this book. What other challenges are they facing inside their societies? It depends on the country and the conflict and the woman and so on. But I could say that some of the women um, face difficulties with their initial decisions to become reporters in the first place because their families might feel worried for them, for their safety. And then I would say it extends beyond the home to the streets where, you know, they have to navigate from point A to point B. Oftentimes they need a male chaperone, again, depending on the country. Oftentimes it's unsafe for them to travel without covering their hair. And oftentimes it's just not safe at all because it might be a war zone. And then I think the third point would be within the workplace. They're faced with misogyny. They're not taken seriously. They're not given certain assignments because they're a woman and we don't want to put the woman in harm's way and so on. 
And then there's the state level, which is, you know, being subject to detention, exile, harassment, threats, and so on. And I think that the women in the book have dealt with those challenges in in just an awe-inspiring way. Tell me about the citizen journalists that you encountered in the looking for these women. Sure. So I actually open the book in my introduction with the story of Ruqayya Hassan. She was a Kurdish-Syrian woman. Um, Important to note that she was not Arab. She was Kurdish. And she was a citizen journalist and a blogger who wrote from her home in Raqqa when ISIS was controlling Raqqa. I was incredibly moved by her. I, I had started following her well before I conceived of the idea of this book, around the time that I said I was consuming a lot of news during the Arab Spring. She was very bold. I open my, my chapter describing how she looked because she, while she was using a pseudonym, she um, kept her photo, the photo of herself um, on her Facebook profile. And, you know, she had dangerous. Yeah. And she was just this beautiful woman in the hijab with really, you know, beautiful eyebrows and very sort of a contoured face and wearing kind of flashy clothing. She just came across as being so strong and so bold. And and her writing was it wavered, you know, between um, frustration and anger and sadness. Um, But she always had this this sort of tenacity like she would just nothing was going to stop her from posting and writing even though she knew that she was risking her life and she was also poetic I think the one the one post that really stuck with me she said something like in Syria life and dignity have become two parallel lines that never meet and that it really stuck with me um the extent to which she was she was struggling on a daily basis to come to terms with what she was seeing and experiencing and at the same time documenting it it's almost like she knew that her life was going to come to an end, and and sadly it did. She was abducted by ISIS and murdered. It's it's quite a harrowing story, um, but I was drawn to her because you know because of that bravery, and many citizen journalists, you know, not all of them use pseudonyms. They they are out there doing that work. It's important to label that as citizen journalism. It's not the same thing as being a journalist who works for any media outlet. But her life to me just demonstrated the the incredible courage of, of women in the in the region when they're faced with really brutal harrowing challenges and, and their again tenacity and their commitment and their passion to, to telling the truth of what they're seeing and experiencing. When I read of her I thought she knows she's going to die. Yes um, she did predict how she was going to die and importantly she said it doesn't matter if ISIS are going to cut my head off because I will have dignity and I will die in dignity. And again, that is incredibly harrowing, but it's also incredibly brave. She she stayed with me for a long, long time. She remains with me. I think about her a lot um, because I imagine, I, I can imagine her writing those things and how brave she must have been and how desperate she must have felt as well to write those things. For those of us who would like to seek out the people who are telling their stories from the ground. Where do we start? You should start by following every single woman in my book on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and wherever you can. But there are also really good independent media outlets in the region. I mean, uh, Hebir is one of them, Jumhuria is one, Rasif 22, Jadalia, um, Public Source just opened in Lebanon, just started in Lebanon, um, these are all uh, incredible outlets that are doing really, really good work on the ground and they require support and um, 
you know, if you if you follow them and share their stories, I mean, not all of them only write in English. Some of them write in Arabic and English or just Arabic. Um, but, you know, independent media outlets in the Arab world need to be supported and nourished. And I think that if people can seek out or at least follow those outlets, um, please reach out to me and ask me what they are. I'm happy to give a list. But um, I think that's important for us to to follow those those independent media outlets. Journalist and writer Zara Hankir. The book is called Our Women on the Ground, Arab Women Reporting from the Arab World. And you can follow Zara on Twitter at Zara Hankir. This edition of Fourth Estate was recorded at the studios of 2SER and heard across the country on the Community Radio Network. We're produced with the assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation and we thank them for their continuing support. Make sure you're subscribed to For the State on your favourite podcast app so you can hear us talk media, politics and a few things in between. And tell your friends about us. We'll be back with more next week, but in the meantime, you can stay in touch with us on Twitter. Our handle is ForTheStateAU. Thanks to our producer, Anthony Dockrell. My name's Sharon Davis, and thank you for listening. <laughs>